When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I have Hey Kate man, your uh, your camera went off to uh, a very funny avatar. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> now I realize. Oh shit! Okay, as you were. <laughs> All right, I like it. I'm starting off the day with egg on my face. <laughs> for go. reasons we're gonna get into um and jake Payne, you know uh, ruined the gag almost but <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah man. man let's get into it though dude yeah um, man it's uh it's mother's day weekend so i'm gonna tell you what my mom always used to tell me what's that when you're ready to apologize i'm ready to <laughs> so last week uh, Jake and I had an exchange. We talked about a, twit, a tweet that was sent out by TDE's top dog saying that uh, the wait was over and a big drop was coming on May 7th. Now, I like, I'd say 95% of the world believe that this was related to Kendrick Lamar. We've been waiting for four years for Kendrick's album. There's been a lot of chatter about the album being done, music videos and all that other stuff. And, uh, you know, Jake, who's always been the one to be more cautious about these kind of things and not fall for the okie doke, was like, you know what? I think it's going to be Isaiah Rashad or Sison. I said, I think that would be clickbait. I, I truly thought it would be clickbait. And he said, okay, cool. So we bet our typical typical wage, which is a drink. And uh, I think that I, I, I've won my fair share of drinks over the years. Probably one more than me, yeah. And I, but I wanted to raise the stakes a little bit. And so I said, you know what? If you win, I will come. I will have with, literally with egg on my face. And so hence <laughs> <laughs> the beginning there. Um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so on Friday, we didn't get Kendrick. We got Thursday. We got Isaiah Rashad. Um, and the song is called, what's it, what's it called again? Um, uh do you remember what the song's called? Um, it's funny. No, um, I'm going to tell you right now. It is called, oh, goodness gracious. Last, um, something, right? Like, I uh, thought I had it in our document, but. Yeah, you um, did. Um, I'm not sure it's, what to it, but. Oh, there it is. Uh, Lay With You. Yep, yep, yep. With, featuring Duke Deuce. Um, based on the fact that neither one of us remember the name of the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing that it wasn't your cup of tea. You know, I, I think Isaiah Rashad is a really interesting artist because, like, I, I think in order to succeed today, you have to win in at least two games. And I think Isaiah is, and, and this is true of Q, I mean, Kendrick hits all the buckets. But Isaiah, you know, can hit you with the, the spiritual, lyrical, miracle rap, but he can also just kind of hit you with a vibe. And I think that this was more of the latter. Um, I like the beat a lot. I think after waiting so long for new Isaiah Rashad music, I don't know that this delivered to the MC that I particularly gravitate towards, but I don't think it's a bad 
song in any way, shape, or form. I just thought that, you know, there's certainly better this week and better in, in Rashad's catalog, too. What did you think? Yeah, it wasn't my thing, you know. Um, you know, it's interesting because J-Rock, uh, obviously one of my favorite artists on TDE, he's the guy who got me into TDE, into Kendrick, into, you know, the whole wave. And uh, when he released his song, When, back in... 2018, I think it was, 2018, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, at first, I didn't like it, you know. Um, but then after a few more listens, it became one of my favorite songs of the year. And it's still one of my favorite TDE songs, one of my J-Rock songs. Just, But it kind of built on that sound that they started to craft over the, the Black Panther soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I heard TDE, and it sounded to me like they were riding a trend more than setting the trend. You know, um, you know, and I guess Kendrick kind of built on that too, uh, with with Dan, with the with the, the Mike Will produced songs like uh, Humble and DNA, mm-hmm. but still they they put their own spin on it, on on kind of a current sound, and made it their own, um, and that's how I felt about J Rock. So this one, I think, is Isaiah doing something similar, uh, but but going even deeper into the current sound, and I think uh, deviating from. Uh, the kind of flow and cadence that he typically uses, which, um, you know, for me, it's very simplistic and not really my thing, you know, mm-hmm. and this isn't one that I, I've, I've listened to it three times now. And it's, it's very hard for me to think that I will get into it, you know, later on, but we'll see. You know? Yeah. I, um, I feel you on that. I, I did some, you know, some some content work and consulting work with Hollywood Cole, who's the song's producer, and he's somebody who's working a lot with TDE, you know, um, and told me, you know, when we spoke, I guess, early this year, late last year, that he had some things in the chamber. And one of the things I like about him, and this is one of the first joints that we've gotten from him with TDE, is that there's, you know, there's there's samples involved, there's vocal samples and it's a different, it's a different sound than we've gotten before. Um, but yeah, I, I, I played the song about three or four times this week. I keep a playlist of, of things that I really, really like from every year. And I can say this one didn't make that list, but uh, it could grow on me. You know, when was a great example. When that came out, I think you and I together, the narrative we ran with was, you know, kind of J-Rock breaking his, his silence at the time. Um, and then we both came around on the song, you far more than me and gave J-Rock his first Grammy. So TDE, like a lot of great artists right now, things can absolutely grow on you. Yeah. You know, so when the news started breaking on Thursday, the 6th, that it was going to be Isaiah, uh, I got to admit, I was disappointed. I still held out a little bit of hope. You know, it's kind of like when I found out there was no Santa Claus, I still held on to the Easter Bunny and the two thirty four minute, you know, um, but I knew there was no Kendrick album coming. Um, and I got to say, man, I've been looking forward to it all week. You know, it's been so long. Um, I'm craving Kendrick's voice and hearing what his, his you know, new message is going to be in sound and all that stuff so much that it was a, a bit of a letdown. And um, then to get that song was even more so because I, I do really like Isaiah. You know, mm-hmm. the Sun's tirade I thought was phenomenal. Um, the Sylvia demo was phenomenal. Like, I, I really think he's a talented artist. And... I've still got high hopes for his album. You know, I mm-hmm. think that um, hearing it in its totality uh, will probably even make this sound, song sound different, as, as is often the case. Um, but then on Friday, or actually, uh, yeah, on Friday, we got some other news. Or uh, actually, later that day, we got some news that kind of like softened the blow for me. 
And that was that J. Cole is releasing his album for certain on Friday the 14th, uh, the fall off. This is an album he's teased. Um, Correct you, uh, the off season. So sorry, the off season, the off season. Um, this has been uh, an album he's teased since um, KOD. He, he teased that and then the fall off. And um, it was, I think, initially supposed to come out that same year as KOD did. Uh, but now we're like two years, uh, two, three years later. Um, that I thought was phenomenal news. What, what did you think when you heard about the cold news? Yeah, I mean, it definitely raises the question of like, you know, and, and this is, I'm sure reading the tea leaves too much, but we all speak as hip hop fans about kind of this spoken and unspoken rivalry between TDE and Dreamville. These two labels very capable of taking, you know, talented, you know, MCs and singers and turning them into stars, you know, we've seen that over, you know, especially the last five years, but even further back. So in a way, like TDE doesn't deliver what you say 80% of the world kind of expected, boom, in comes Dreamville and delivers a song from their flagship artist and founder. I thought that was really interesting. And I definitely think it, um, it raised the stakes on 2021. Yeah, uh, and he then released a song called Interlude. He had said he was going to drop the whole body of work at once, but decided, you know, last minute to release a song, the Interlude. Um, first of all, do you think that that was always planned, or do you think he just did change his mind? Well, so it didn't happen at midnight. It happened at about 10 a.m. East Coast on Friday, which I thought was really interesting. So that leads me to speculate, and it's just speculate, that he did that. And, and again, it's kind of like, did TDE leave the net open? Not that Isaiah Rashad isn't a you know, great artist or, or delivered a cool song, but everybody was like expecting this thing. And I think it was a, it was one of the first weeks of the year where, you know, a large portion of the rap listing community stayed up to see what would happen. And then cool kind of like puts one in the net. So uh, I do think it was on the fly. And I think it was an interesting song because it most certainly isn't a single like you know I don't know I would be very shocked if we get a video for this on its own it might be combined in with something else but it's um yeah I mean what did you think of the record itself yeah you know similar I, I didn't think that the the record itself didn't grab me all that much you know after hearing Cole go on a tear for two years of just just destroying features every feature he was on it seemed like he was on a mission to prove that he was the best rapper in the game um, it was a much more relaxed flow. Um, the beat was, um, didn't really grab me all that much, but I like the content a lot. You know, there's a lot of like, um, subtle commentary and sometimes not so subtle commentary about like, uh, the violence that that's occurred, uh, against black people, um, both at the hands of, of the police, but, but, you know, also at our own hands, you know, and so it sounds like it was a setup for me for what we can expect this album to bring, which, and I'm very excited about that. You know, Cole has been an activist for years. Yeah. He's been one of those guys since Michael Brown, like in the streets, riding, walking with the people, like um, not the guy on the platform, but the guy very much in the crowd, like, you know, walking the walk. And so and his music has addressed that too. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about things. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said, and, and Cole absolutely walks it like he talks it, and we're living in an age, I, I wouldn't say any more than Kendrick does, I think Kendrick has been active in protests and things like that, but these are guys that stand for what they talk about, and yeah, I hope that that is the commentary we get on this album, because, you know, Cole's last full-length body of work, KOD, 
address a ton of things, most notably, you know, drug addiction and just kind of the messages that are being, you know, decimated around, you know, especially young people through a lot of rap music. And so to hear what he has to say in, you know, a post, I won't say post pandemic, but in a 2021 world has my attention. And I really liked the, I thought it was very provocative and interesting. You know, Cole has this ability to say things that are right under our nose that we don't realize, but he compared the deaths of Pimp C and Nipsey Hussle at 33 to, you know, Jesus Christ who died at 33. And I thought that that was really interesting. And for me, I didn't even realize that Nip or, or Chad Butler was that age when they passed. Like it wasn't something that I stuck with. And I just, Cole has that ability to just kind of really, you know, say big things. And, and one other point I'll make is, you know, you say on a Terra features, this song to me almost felt like a J. Cole feature. You know, it really is one verse. I think it's far more than 16 bars though, but he talks a little bit at the beginning of the song and then just spits. And it's not, you know, there's no chorus. There's none of that. I thought it was a really um, just interesting concept that reminded me of what he's done with, you know, 21 Savage, on and on and on, all of those kind of Rhapsody, all of these great features. Yeah, you know, and he dropped the cover art too. And the cover art is him standing on a basketball court at night with a basketball goal on fire behind him. And he's got on an all, all black kind of like, uh, you know, it's a sweatshirt it looks like and then black pants too. Um, dude, I think there's a lot of subs here. I think there's a lot of subs here. So first of all, the basketball court, the, uh, the goal on fire looks like a, a burning cross, you know, mm. uh, and um, it's very purposeful that the, the flames are going straight up and then kind of out, not fully like as a T, but they, they kind of go out a little bit, almost like a burning cross would. Um, his all black is the uh, opposite of like a, a white robe, but, you know, given some of the references mm -hmm. he has in the song to black on black violence, I'm wondering if this is a metaphor uh, for us killing ourselves instead of like having other people do it. I mean, that's, that's, you raise interesting questions and I hope we get the answer. I mean, one of the songs that Cole has dropped between um, KOD and today with the interlude was, you know, middle child and, you know, between the video and the song itself, there was as much, you know, figurative language, metaphor and imagery in that. Um, as you're going to get. And, you know, we actually, one of our more successful articles was breaking down all the hidden meanings within that song and video. And yeah, I mean, Cole is that kind of artist where there's a lot of Easter eggs. Cole and Kendrick both do that in very different ways. And, and cover art is always going to be an extension of that. So I think you might be on the ground floor with something. Yeah. So we're definitely getting Cole next week. Drake's certified lover boy is coming in 2021. He's told us, um, you know, probably sometime this summer. I think we're getting Kendrick this year. What do you think? Yeah, and I think, you know, even though you got Egg Foo Young on your face today, <laughs> I think you made a really compelling case as to why, um, you know, in our last episode, I would, uh, you know, I venture to bet all three of those artists are absolutely happening. And then Travis Scott. Um, just announced he, he has a festival um, that's happening in November. It's sold out within an hour, I believe. Mm. 150,000 people, fastest selling um, festival for an artist-led festival ever. Wow. Is uh, it in Houston? It's in Houston. Okay. Um, 
and I think it's called Astral World. I can't remember, but um, that's coming in November. And I believe he has, he's confirmed an album coming out this year also. So we have albums coming by Travis, J. Cole, Kendrick, and Drake this year, most likely. Mm-hmm. I said earlier in the week, I think that's the equivalent to 1994 in terms of like, you know, artists at the top of their game in, in a generation dropping albums in the same year. Um, and you had you had some issues with that, so I want to break it down. So I want to yeah. I want to I want to establish what I mean first. So 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 we're, yeah. we're arguing about the same thing. So when you take those, first of all, I'm talking about artists that kind of came of age, um, that came to the forefront in the last decade. So uh, each of those artists really kind of broke 2010. Drake, you can say 2009. You know that's when it's, it's, it's uh, so far gone. Mixtape came out. Mm -hmm. Um, but he really kind of came to his own, um, you know, 2010 or so, um, J Cole, same thing with, uh, the the up. I think it was like 2009, but you know, again, to the 2000, um, teens were his decade drivers for sure. Uh, uh, Kendrick, same thing. So coming of age that decade, I don't know that there's been any artists bigger than those four in that decade. I think that one you could argue is future. But I would argue, but but I would argue, Future's not bigger than Drake, Cole, or Kendrick. Um, yeah. And I would say that in the last couple of years, Travis Scott has surpassed him. Super Bowl uh, appearance, you know, McDonald's like partnership, Fortnite. Like I think Travis Scott is gigantic at this point. So can you think of an artist bigger than those four from the last decade? No, and I mean it's it's. You know, all four of these artists delivered great work consistently. You know, I think on the earlier part of the decade, I think, you know, Kendrick, Drake, and Cole kind of proved themselves and have done really interesting things from there. I think of the four, the mainstream is just getting familiar over the last three or four years with Travis. I think he was consistent before then, but in that more recently, he's climbed to superstar status. What about Logic? Yeah, guy. No, I think that there's a there's a fringe of artists that are that are near and close, and I would definitely say Big Sean and Logic are in that, possibly Two Chains. Um, you know, because Two Chains, even though he was around with Player Circle the previous decade, I look at the 2010s of of him kind of rebranding as a solo artist, but I don't think the three of them have been as consistent and on a constant climb. Um, and I don't know that their album drops have been events in the way that the four you mentioned have, you know, Chance, Chance is close, but I, I Chance had a misfire with his last album, in my opinion, unlike yeah. we've seen with the other four. Yeah, big time. And big time. Chance, Chance is, you know, it's his game to come back to. Um, but I also, yeah, and it, it's funny, too, because Chance in many ways was overexposed. Um, you know, a lot of folks took umbrage with him being this DIY independent artist, but also some of the doors that were automatically unlocking for him. Um, and, you know, again, you mentioned all the things that Travis Scott has done. I believe this week he said he wasn't into marketing and a lot of people were, were shocked at that given, you know, again, the, the, the collaborations with Fortnite, McDonald's, so on and so forth. But yeah, I think consistency counts for a lot. And that's why these four artists are in a class of their own, you know, even, yeah. And, and again, another artist that I would put in that second tier is Crit, 
who I often feel doesn't get the mainstream recognition he deserves. I think he has the consistency, maybe not to the extent of the other four, but he's, he's right there. And for a hip hop fan that goes off of the music, he's pretty close, but that, that four is an elite, elite, elite circle. Yeah. And I'm going to be clear. I'm not talking about like um, the quality of the artists or their music. You know, you could put Rhapsody up there in terms of consistency and uh, you know, um, and quality. Uh, I'm talking about commercial right now, just like just cultural impact. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Kendrick with the Pulitzer, um, you know, so over the last, last, you know, couple of years, each has gotten bigger. Kendrick had his Pulitzer. Damn, was his biggest uh, commercial album by far. Um, it, you know, had entire like podcast devoted to it. Like it, it just was an album that I think put him in the stratosphere. And not only at the top of his class, but um, a lot of people will have him in the GOAT discussion now, including myself. You know, um, it's, your, it's your point to make, but I, I want to just make sure I'm clear too. I do think quality matters when it comes to this argument, but it's not what the argument is entirely based on. But I don't think you get to be in that circle if you're not really consistent with quality music and projects. Quality matters for sure. Um, and I think all four of these artists are supremely talented, but I, I believe there are lots of artists who are supremely talented who don't have the same commercial stature these two have, these four have. Okay, sure. So sure. in this one, it's, it's both quality and commercial, like, you know, problems. But Drake, like, has been on a 12-year run that we've never seen from any artist, period, like, in any genre. Michael Jackson, Madonna, Katy Perry, I don't care who it is, Lady Gaga, nobody's been on this kind of run. I stand by that, um, and then the numbers will back me up on that. For anybody who's like trying to um, trying to hate on that, um, you know, he, this has been his longest break between albums, so I think the anticipation is higher than usual. Cole K.O.D. was his fastest selling album. Um, it was one of the biggest albums that year, um, and like I said, he's gone on a, a run of features for the last two years where he's just destroyed everybody, and and you know, just really had a chip on his shoulder. And then Travis, like we said, Astroworld, the festival, um, the albums, triple platinum, second biggest selling album of that year, Super Bowl performance, controversial, but still, um, you know, Fortnite, which is just one, the Clio for, um, you know, uh, the, the, the um, having the, the most creativity and, and I think it, it won Webby as well. Hmm. And the McDonald's partnership and he's got his, his um, cacti drink, like he's just, on a tear right now, he could end up being the biggest out of all four hmm. um, and super critical acclaim. So each of them, I think, is at his apex right now also. And um, there's never been a year where all four of them have released a project at the same time. Now, I know what you're going to say. You can go back to 2016 and you're going to say that Travis has got, uh, you know, an album, uh, you know, the um, his album... Um, Birds in the Birds, Trap Sing. Yeah, yeah, Bird in the Trap Sing, McKnight. Um, Drake had views. Cole had For Your Eyes Only. Now, the wild card is Kendrick because he released Untitled and Mastered. But as we know, that is just a, is a, a compilation of outtakes from the two Pimper Butterfly sessions. Um, it wasn't like designed to be an album. It's something that Top kind of put, put out as a filler because Kendrick had been performing songs like on Colbert, on... Um, Austin City Limits uh, and a couple other places where he was just dropping these songs like out of nowhere and people were like, yo, was, is this going to be released? So he said, you know, why not? We'll just do that. So I don't count that as an official Kendrick album. To me, that's just like a, a lost tape. So like, you know, a B-side to whatever it might be. So 
intentional like body of work. There's never been a year where the four of them have put out an album together. And certainly, even if you count that year, none of them were at their peak powers or were at the status that they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 26, 2021 20, uh, versions of these guys is way different than the 2016 versions. So you put that together and um, this is a monster year for hip hop. I think it's the biggest year of the last 10 in terms of like slate of releases from rap's biggest superstars. Um, and I can't see, I can't see a year that eclipses it. I, I support you in, in the last 10. Um, but I think again, and this comes back into it, you can say that based on star power, you know, going into it. It's a different argument after these albums are out and we see, you know, how they're received. But that's also a different point Um, where I debate you a bit is this idea of the changing of the guard, because I feel that all four of these artists, especially the first three put Travis. Let's let's set that up because I I talked about in the document. We haven't talked about it here yet. So um, let's talk about two things. One let's talk about changing the other guard and two, let's talk about comparing this year of these four superstars versus other years in which you had artists at the top of their game who were like, you know, kind of control the decade or so uh, in the same year. So um, I mentioned changing of the guard. I think that, you know, there have been times, there have been sea changes in hip hop where you had a new crop of players come in and establish themselves and say, this is my game now. You know, think about like, um, you know, post MJ retiring when Kobe kind of like established it as his game. And then, you know, post Kobe when LeBron and D Wade and like, you know, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry kind of established it as their game. Um, and hip hop that happened in 1984 or so when Run DMC and LL Cool J came in and, you know, kind of took the reins from Curtis Blow and, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and people like that. It happened again in 87, 88 when Rakim and KRS One and EPMD and guys like that took the range from Run DMC and LO. It happened again, I would say, in 93, 94, when you had Biggie and Snoop and Wu and Nas and um, you know, guys like that kind of take the reins and later on Jay-Z kind of joined that class. I'd say it happened again in 99, 2000 or so, uh, 2001, where you had Eminem and then Kanye and then 50 Cent and people like that kind of take the range from like the Jays and people like that. And then Jay continued, like he stayed, it was part of that class. Maybe 2007, 2008, um, really with Wayne and Ross, um, Kanye still in that class and so forth. And then I think the next Crop came in like 2009, 2010, when this this Crit, Cole, Kendrick, uh, you know, Logic, like all these guys came aboard. Wale, yeah. Yeah, Wale, but they were just young guns back then. They were kind of the guys, like they were rookies. They were coming in saying, look, you know, we're going to have something to say about this. Um, Outcast was back in that 2000 era too. Um, uh, but it wasn't until now where they all kind of like, now they're like the Avengers, right? So they came in, they had all the separate movies throughout and now they're coming together, um, you know, as fully fleshed out, like, you know, um, rap superstars. And uh, this is their Avengers moment. And I think this is signaling that this is truly 
Uh, hip hip hop belongs to them at this point. No one else. Jay, you know, he's had a great run. He's still good. You know, he's still critically acclaimed. The whole nine. Kanye is kind of, um, you know, doing fashion and is viewed more for his personality than for his music at this point. Ross is still consistent, but not where he was, you know, eight, nine years ago. Wayne, same thing. Like, I think this is clearly their game now. And it's like, um, um, you know, what the NBA was like when Durant and Steph and all those guys kind of took it from like um, LeBron and Wade. I think this is that that time. That's what I mean by changing the guard. Yeah, I um, I don't quite see it the same way. I see it as the guard has already changed again, especially with Kendrick Cole and Drake. I think now more than ever, Travis Scott has arrived and what he does next will it's at a crossroads of going up or, you know, kind of, you know, leveling out or, or, or whatever. And, um, and every indication is that he's on the rise for reasons you stated. I liken this more to, maybe like a 2000, 2001, where you had those artists that you mentioned from 94, you know, Nas um, with Stomatic, Outkast with Stankonia, Jay-Z with Blueprint and Rock La Familia, you know, getting to that point of what are you going to do now? And this is a great, you know, it's like when there's, you know, a, a playoffs in sports and, and there's a lot of good teams. There's not a clear cut front runner. And that's what interests me about the prospects of 2021 is that, you know, this could be the year where Cole overtakes Kendrick, where Kendrick, you know, makes a statement against Drake commercially or in terms of mainstream exposure, you know, or, or Travis Scott coming through, like you said, and potentially outdoing all of them. Um, but I don't see it as a changing of the guard simply because you can trace these guys back, you know, in some cases more than 10 years. When would you say the guard changed, though, if not now? Somewhere in the middle of the decade, right around 2015, um, you know, I, I tend to believe that all of these guys put in, you know, crucial benchmark work, you know, 2011, 2012. Um, I put Section 80 on a very high pedestal, but I think that by the time you get to, to Pimp a Butterfly, you know, things really kind of cement themselves. And, and this is an, it, it shows that this is an artist that is growing in real time, evolving, and making really brilliant music. And I think you can use that model across the board. I think KOD with J. Cole, um, you know, for as great as 2014 Forest Hills Drive was, Cole outdid himself and he did it in a way that wasn't tailored to the, you know, the commercial, like he, he didn't chase hits with that. Um, he made a really dense album of commentary and it worked. Um, Travis Scott, Astroworld is, is a universe, you know, literally, um, and he made that work like the mainstream came to him with it and he used his creativity to create all this extensions of that. Um, so I think this is go time. I think this is that year when you have four phenomenal teams and the history books may be forever changed by the choices they make creatively and the moves they make on the business tip with 2021. But I think the guard already changed. So I'm going to push back on that and I'm going to liken the period you just described as the equivalent of, say, 99 to 2002, 2003, the NBA. Mm -hmm. So MJ retires, there's a void. Everybody's looking for, you know, who that next GOAT is going to be. And they don't get one. They get, like, uh, instead, like, 
you know, constant transition. You got the Spurs one year, you got, um, you know, uh, the, the Lakers one year, you got like a bunch of different teams kind of vying for that. And um, there is no clear kind of heir apparent. It's not until 2003 or so when the Shaq and Kobe dynasty like is in full effect but you got Tim Duncan, you got a couple others that are really like saying, okay, this is our, this, it's a new NBA now and, and we're the leaders of the pack. Um, I think that in that time that you just described, the 20, you know, 14 to 20, like 18 or so, 2019 period, um, rap was, defi was defined by a sound. It was ATL, it was trap music, um, it was a lot of different players from like, like Uzi Vert to like Future to, um, you know, Migos. You the, yeah, you Migos, you name the artist, right? It was more of a sound and you had different people kind of dominating that sound at different times, but there wasn't like a clear, and, and you also had those guys we mentioned like Cole, Drake, Kendrick, but not at any one, not together at the same time. Each one kind of had their years separately and would make buzz and then like kind of trail off and go and go and do their thing. I think now with them coming together all at the same time, um, it's just a, a show of strength like never before. And it's just unquestionable that these guys are it. They're, they, mm -hmm. you know, because um, everyone's, you know, talked about the lack of lyricism, lack of like artistry and stuff like that. These guys have consistently done it and they've been around now for 10, 12 years. There's no argument anymore that they're, and they're the biggest selling artists too. Like it's just clear that this is the wave of hip hop despite all the things that have come and gone before. Like I think it took time for them to kind of establish themselves. But what, what do you say to that? I like that framing. I mean, I, I do. And I, I think that, you know, at an artistic level, it's, you know, Kendrick's game to lose. I think at a commercial you know, recognition level. It's Drake's game to lose. I think this is a really interesting season ahead for Jake Cole and Travis Scott. And, you know, and, and in a way that I don't think Big Sean or Wiz Khalifa or Wale or ASAP Rocky or Crit or Yellow Wolf or Bronson, I can go on and on in a way that those guys couldn't necessarily hang for reasons beyond just the quality of their music this will be interesting, especially for those two guys. And um, none of these artists have ever disappointed me. You know, I know, I know some folks were a little bit off put by For Your Eyes Only when J. Cole dropped it in the closing days of 2016. I mean, that project gave us Neighbors, which I think is one of Cole's most brilliant, you know, songs. I don't think these guys have ever truly disappointed their fan base. And, um, it, 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 it sets the table for a really exciting 2021 because while you and I get on here most weeks and talk about some great new music and hip hop, I don't know that this album or that this year has an album that really sticks to your ribs the way that these guys seem very capable of delivering. Yeah, so five years out, who do you put your money on in terms of these four as being the leader of the pack? Huh. I I think that Kendrick will go down in history as as the, you know, certainly the greatest MC of the 2000s. Um I don't uh I don't see that changing. And you know, Drake is the Teflon Don, all respect due to Rick Ross and John Gotti. Like 
Drake just can't lose, even when Pusha T is coming at him, even when, you know, he's coming out with an album in 2021 called Certified Lover Boy with a heart cut into his hair. I mean, that that's up there with games, uh, <laughs> butterfly tattoo. And he's, he's unquestionable. So um, I kind of think those two universes live at the same time. You know, I, I'm, I'm not as good as you are with the uh, basketball analogies, but I mean, those guys are already cemented hall of famers. I don't know that I see that changing, but if J Cole or Travis can overtake either one of them. And I think that that's a great example too, because well, when KOD dropped, I believe it broke streaming records up to that time. But I think a lot of that in 2018 had to do with people going all in on streaming. Um, I think that Cole and Kendrick have their own little kind of battle. And I think that Travis and Drake are competing at another level of just like, who is the biggest, you know, hip hop superstar and the music that Travis makes isn't exclusively hip hop um, in a way that Drake is versatile too, with the singing and the rapping. So Man, I, I hope I didn't seem like I just dodged your question, but I think it's a really, I think it's 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 Drake and Kendrick's games to lose again. Yeah, you know, I've said this often, but I think that Drake and Kendrick are rap's equivalent today of Michael and Prince. You know, um, a lot of people give mm. Drake a lot of flack, but his hit making is just unparalleled and unquestionable. Like, um even if you don't like the music he puts out, I think you have to give the respect to it. Um, and I love his music. I'm, I'm a huge Drake fan. Um, uh, but Kendrick on the artistic side, no one has ever said that Drake has put out the kind of artistic um, quality that, that Kendrick has. And, you know, I mean, the, the facts are there with the, the Pulitzer and things like that. And like the four straight uh, Grammy nominations for rap album or three straight for rap album of the year or maybe four, and he should have won four, and he's got, I think, more Grammys than just about anybody at this point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that part's not questioned. Um, I think Cole doesn't get his just due because he's been so consistent. His messaging has been equally uh, substantive and important. I think it's Drake's, and he's more straightforward with it, which, you know, may discount him a little bit. You know, we had that side conversation with, Justin Hunt, aka Justin Payne, uh, and, and you know, uh, I asked you guys like if Kendrick and Cole were Michael and Prince, um, who was J. Cole, and and he had said Lionel Richie. I thought that was great because Lionel Richie had hit after hit after hit, incredible writer, uh, good voice, but was never ever in that conversation. I don't even know who Travis Scott would be. You know, he might be like Madonna or something like that. But um, yeah. you know. Um, I think Travis could end up being, I think Travis would be more like Kanye in the, that he's going to be known for, he's going to be bigger because of things outside of music than his music in the next five years, you know? Um, yeah. I'm curious to see if Travis's, you know, fan base, which I believe leans the youngest of the three, Drake might be an exception to that. I wonder if they will hold on to him the way that, you know, generations held on to Jay-Z or held on to Tupac or held on to Eminem. That'll be curious, you know, to see. And, you know, to your point about J. Cole as well, I don't think, I think Drake, you know, Drake hate is something that Drake knows how to lean into and, and kind of puppeteer. He has a lot of fun with it. I think J. Cole hate has been um, a real anomaly. And I, I love the fact that Cole confronted it head on with his conversation with Little Pump and stuff like that. But I feel like a lot of Travis Scott's fan base was brought up to believe that J. Cole was corny. 
for reasons that will never make sense to me. And yet through that all, cool indoors, you know. Um, but I feel like he's had a tougher road than those other guys. I mean, Kendrick proved himself out of, you know, kind of being a relative SoundCloud unknown. Cole came in as Jay-Z's groomed artist and still, um, you know, got pushed back over that because there were people that were disappointed with that choice in his first album. And, you know, Nas let me down and, and or, you know, I let Nas down. Like Cole's made a bunch of weird moves, but um, the fact that he's still endured and continues to level up is, is huge. And um, just to bring it full circle by, by looking at interlude and looking at the possible symbolism and density of the off season, yo, I'm, I'm tuned in and, you know, it, I wonder how much if Cole drops next week, if that's going to send, you know, Kendrick, Drake and Travis back in the lab to adjust their messaging or, or, or their projects. You know, we may never know. That's an interesting question. And, you know, you brought it up earlier. You said uh, that really the merit of this is going to depend on what their artistic choices are ultimately like and, and what the music sounds like. So. Um, you know, assuming that all four come out this year and all four, let's say all four put out the best work of their careers. Um, if all four of these artists put out the best work of their careers in the same year, do you think that this puts it on a level of like a 1994 where you've got, you know, Ready to Die and Illmatic and, you know, Murder Was the Case? Um, you know, Southern playlist of Cadillac music. Common, hard OC, to earn. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, th- these guys who were kind of at the top in Thug Life, you know, was not top of his work, but like, you know, but like those four albums, main ingredient you could throw in there too with, um, with Pete Rock and Seals. Yeah. Uh, do you think it put in Resurrection by Common too? Do you think it puts it on the level of a year like that? No, I mean, for reasons that we debated, I think that that year was primarily breakout artists that were defining themselves and and making really bold artistic and experimental choices. I think this is what, you know, some people probably perceive as 2001. Again, your your Stillmatic versus your Blueprint, you know, where you have just artists that are at new levels doing battle. And I know that that was a complicated year because there was literally, you know, beef. But this one, I mean, there's a creative competition. Um, so maybe, I mean, maybe this is a case like no other where that's never happened before. Even with like an 88, those are artists figuring it out. You know, guys on their first and second albums um, that were just putting out incredible work. This this might be a year like no other um, in that way. And, and I think we're both saying the same thing, but looking at it slightly different. So this might be like 2K where you can put like the greatest eras of all time together. Yeah, in one, yeah. In one game. That's a dope, that's a dope analogy. Yeah. Cool. So a couple more releases that came out um, this week uh, were posthumous. So we got a new joint from Fife uh, with Illa J um, called French Kiss De, which uh, to me sounded very much like um, Fife kind of joining a Slum Village track. You know, Uh, I thought it was really, really dope. Illa J sounds amazing. Um, Great production. And second, really solid release from this, this posthumous album after Nutmeg uh, and Nutmeg Part Two with uh, Redman and Buster Rhymes. Um, the other was Doom had m- many verses on Zarface's new album, um, and I listened to the whole thing yesterday. Really, really enjoyed it. I thought Doom had some standout, some real standout moments too. But it got me thinking about posthumous releases generally. You know, I've been the type who. 
um, like I've I've never listened to any of the the, the, the Tupac albums that were created after his death. Um, you know, um, I, I think that the artist being there, choosing the track, like feeling the track, is a critical part of putting it together. Um, you know, um, it, and so. And, and then a lot of times, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's like unfinished stuff and they've got features from other people on it to finish it out. And it, to me, it seems like it, there might've been a lot of stuff that the artists would have never released because it wasn't like their thing. Like I don't listen to these posthumous Prince releases either um, because he chose not to release them uh, for a reason. And so I've never been a fan of the posthumous releases unless it was something that the artist put together and was going to release. So, um, but how do you feel about posthumous releases? Because I know you listen to a lot of the, the Pac stuff. I do. I mean, Pac is, as I always go on record, is, you know, my favorite MC. And the reason why, you know, I talk to you every week and the reason we've got so much history together. And, and it's funny too, because a lot of those releases were really contaminated. Um, you know, early in his passing, you know, Pac's mom, bless her soul, you know, really wanted to do away with the negativity and the music that Tupac Shakur recorded throughout 1996 was very, you know, vitriolic. So, you know, the album Still I Rise with the Outlaws, um, you know, there was, there was edits throughout that album and re-recorded verses from other, you know, from the Outlaws and guests that kind of changed the whole narrative. And, and I'm a believer of you can produce around something, but there's a certain limit. And, you know, with Pac as well, you had Suge Knight, who throughout the years would push, you know, death row artists that I don't feel were worthy of Tupac moments into the songs as features. Um, and he would use death row producers to redo the beats. And that that changes things. But there are great moments in there. Um, you know, I know it's cliche, but I look at a song like Changes, um, you know, which I believe the Trackmasters did. And, and to me, that's iconic. And it, it came out in, what, 98 on the Greatest Hits album, but it's an incredible Tupac song. I'm sure if you pulled people on the street, that's the first song that they think of if they're a casual fan. But it worked. It got Tupac's greatness out there. One of my favorite Pac records of all time is Until the End of Time, which took the same changes formula of using an 80s pop sample. Um, he did, uh, what, Take These Broken Wings. And they just did it beautifully. Um, so I listen to posthumous music from John Lennon, a whole host of artists. And I think there's times where hip hop got it really right. Um, two examples I'll give you outside of Pac are Big L's The Big Picture, which, you know, from what I understand was, you know, well over, you know, 60, 70% done when L was murdered and or, or killed. And they brought it home and they did it with a lot of integrity. You know, they used people that Elle admired or would work with. There was no, it wasn't like rockets just threw, you know, folks on the track as a promotional vehicle. And the other one is, is Jay Dilla's The Shining. I mean, Donuts dropped the same week Dilla passed, but within the next year, The Shining came out and some of Jay Dilla's best productions and, and, and greatest visions come to life on that, on that album. And I would much rather, listen to those albums with that context than not you know and, and I've always been a little bit perplexed with you avoiding Pac that way you know avoiding those posthumous albums because some of them are pretty good and I think you've listened to Biggie's Born Again more times than I have you know yeah so no probably not I mean really? I, I love um Dead Wrong 
because uh, Biggie just like he, he snaps on that. Um, but you know, aside from that, I can't even name another song off of, of yeah. the album. I think there's a song Red Man and Matt, something like that. But uh, uh, oh yeah, there's one one other joint on it that I like it. I think I think it's Red and Matt. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, changes makes me cringe, man. And and hmm. the other the other joint, Broken Wings. It sounds good sonically, but I just can't see Pop in the studio choosing to rap on those songs. And so to me, it seems like a violation, like it's going against his artistic sensibility. And that to me is like a money grab and not something that like I can, I can co-sign for artists that I care so much about, you know, and their, their legacy. So it's really difficult for me. Um, the Dilla things are, are songs that he created himself. And so unless someone was going in and like, you know, remixing it or whatever, um, then, you know, um, that, that to me is a pure, like, you know, statement of, 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 of his art. Same thing with the, the, the Gangstar album, you know, uh, that was premiere. And even though he's taking guru verses um, that were created for other projects because of the way they worked and because he of their partnership for, I don't know, like almost 20 years, like he knew um, what guru liked, uh, you know, his sound and he was a key stakeholder in the group. It's not like some other random producer was coming in and making the music. That to me felt good, and you could hear it with you know the song they did with Cole. Like it sounded like it was recorded, like real time with Guru. Like um, that to me, is different. And so um, it ma made me think: What are some of the best posthumous releases um, for me? Um, and this, you know, we, we disagree on this too. But like I, I take the the term at its literal um, meaning, you know, after death. And so um, I think of life after death. Biggie, like, is probably the greatest of all time. You know, obviously, it was recorded as a full body of work before he died and released just shortly afterwards. But as a release after death, I, I, I can't think of any better. I think Machiavelli is a close second. Um, you know, uh, that album is unbelievably great. Similar circumstances. I would put that Gangstar album up there. Um, you know, I think be because of the way that Prem handled that and the care and attention that he gave to it. Um, I can't think of others though that that would fit that fit that um, that level for me. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I disagree with you on 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 especially life after death. I just think it was a it was a turned in album, and it was you know eerily prophetic to its title and messaging and 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 everything else. Um, but I understand where you're coming from. Machiavelli sure um and I, I those albums kind of live in tandem that way of like we're still getting great music from these icons that died six months apart I do put Big L's um you know the big picture on on that list I put Jay Dill as the, the Shining um for me the there's two albums that Tupac came out with that um I think are meaningful uh, until the end of time is one of them there's people out there that like are you still down which was a lot of demo recordings before his time at death row and you know Afini Shakur brought in like Warren G and you know that's where you had the what would you do for love with John B um with the Bobby Caldwell sample and or do for love and to me that even though they're different spectrums of 80s pop I started to accept the fact that I think Pac would have taken 80s records and redone them especially that was what was going on from the Fugees to Bad Boy to death row throughout the time of his passing. But the two albums that I hang my hat on are Until the End of Time, the double disc, 
which just had a lot of a lot of music come in. I don't love the production, but I love the lyrical content. And then Pox Life, which came out in 2006. And you had, I think, Shaw Money XL oversaw that one. It had nothing to do with Death Row, but like Swizz Beats came in and really contemporized Tupac. It was like the the last scrape of the barrel of what was left in the vaults. And I, I guess there's still more out there, but they put Nipsey on it. I believe they put like, you know, T.I., they put contemporary artists on it that kind of fit with what Pac stood for. And I thought it was done really well. And I thought the production was done really well. Um, yeah. And then the other one I'll give it just a shout out to is Imperious Rex. Um, we've had a ton of Sean Price music since his passing in, in 2015. Um, and Sean was very prolific, but I thought Duck Down um, and Sean's wife, Bernadette did a really good job with that album in particular of just bringing it, down the home stretch and, and making it sound authentic and good and new. Yeah, I agree with you on Imperious Rex. And that's one where I question whether or not uh, those were actually songs that he completed before and they're just being released afterwards. You know, mm. um, that to me is kind of like the critical distinction. If the artists have full input into it and it just happens to be released afterwards, which is why, you know, I do count my after, after death, then I'm good with it. But if the artists, doesn't have input and there's no one there who like would truly know what that artist thinks like primo with, with guru then to me it's just um you know yeah. it's just a it's just patchwork you know so yeah and there's always biases um i think it's the new normal though i mean we've we've spent a lot of time this year talking about what dmx's album will sound like and it's you know all indications all sources indicate that it's coming out in the you know very next few months um i'm curious with it and and you know catalog is the lifeblood of an artist's family so anyone that passes i expect and, and and how easy it is now to release music you don't need to label you don't need to go through manufacturing um every artist i assume so much catalog will be available for public consumption and that's the other thing too just you know biggie's born again had his song with sadat x i forget the title of it that never made ready to die you know, these are opportunities, too, for demo recordings that can be, you know, really good and meaningful in their own right. But it's hard then to process them as albums for the reasons you just said. Well, but that, that DMX one was, was done. Supposedly yeah. it's done and turned in. So do you not count that? Um, no, I mean, I, I think you do. And I, I'll be shocked if we only get one DMX album, you know. But, but So if you count that, why don't you count Life, Life After Death? Because then it's just a timing issue. Like, suppose it, Life After Death, they just released six months later. You, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be really curious to know if with this DMX album, if behind the scenes, Rough Riders and Def Jam don't use this opportunity to add to that album. If it's done, if it's sealed, if it's lock and key, this is the album that X wanted. You know, I, I put that in the class of, of life after death. Um, I was surprised to know that it's coming out so soon, but maybe that speaks to that. Maybe it's, we're just going to leave this album as X wanted it. Didn't that, I think that's kind of what happened with Pop Smoke, right? Yeah, yeah, it happened with Pop Smoke. And I, and I wonder with Fife, like, uh, I wonder if this is all music, because, you know, my understanding is Nutshell was done. Like, he, yeah. he, that was his... The Illa J song to me, again, because of the Slum Village like sound, sounded to me like it was something that was done after, you know, just with, with five vocals. But um, yeah, I wondered that too. To me, I kind of hoped, and I love the song, I actually prefer it to the other two. Um, but I had hoped that, you know, on, on Fife's 
debut solo album, The Anticipation. He worked with Dilla, High Tech, Pete Rock. I hope that this was him finding a producer that made a Dilla bop and paying tribute by putting, you know, Dilla's brother on the song. But yeah, we may never know. And I love to read those interviews. You know, when Doom dropped this album with Zarface this week, my first question is, when was this recorded? Because they had made another album in 2018. And I found out that, you know, these sessions were from, according to Pitchfork, um, April of, you know, 2020. Um, So it was a thought out project. And, and it is, I mean, you, you spoke, you came into this moment speaking about it. Doom is not on every song. Um, I'm not sure that he was on every song on the previous album. I know Ghostface with Zarface wasn't on every record. So these are kind of like Jay Electronica, Jay-Z. Um, but you put two of them on the playlist, and I think those are absolutely two of the best. Yeah, word. Um, so anything else noteworthy this week caught your attention? Um, looks like uh, Warren G's son, Elijah, I hope I'm saying that correctly, got drafted by the Buffalo Bills. I thought that's cool. I just love, you know, hip-hop intersections with sports. And, and for anybody, I can't remember. Do you remember if it was the show or Rhyme and Reason? where they show Warren G going to every Raiders game. I know he is as devout a football fan as anybody in hip hop. Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, yeah. Stuff, though. Um, yeah. diehard Raiders fan. So that's cool. And I also thought of, you know, Maceo's son, Trey from De La Soul, you know, was in the league. I just like to see that. Um, those were kind of it apart from a few music drops. What about you? Yeah. You know, on the music side, um, on a non hip hop tip, um, Anthony Hamilton uh, just released a song called You Made a Fool of Me. And I think it's some of his best work in uh, quite a few years. I've been a fan of his since he first dropped. Um, and this is like vintage um, Anthony Hamilton. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. It really, it really, some feel good soul music. Um, you know, obviously it's about heartbreak and everything. But, um, you know, I love seeing artists of his caliber putting out great music, you know, 12, 15 years into their career. He's, he's done that with this one. So definitely, I'm a I'm an Anthony out. Hamilton fan. I haven't checked it out, but as we talk about Sean Price, I, I interviewed Anthony a few times over the years. And if I'm not mistaken, like one of his first credits was on like it was either Helter Skelter or a boot camp click project. So it's funny that Anthony kind of came in the game. You would never make that association, but um always been a cool guy. I'm eager to drop drop a needle on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, you said Marcus Machado is like, yeah, I mean, that's been out for a few weeks. I listened to it this week and and Marcus is, you know, an extremely talented uh, guitarist. You've gotten to see him live. I have not. Right. Yeah. Uh, So Amanda Mester, uh, AKA Bonita for AFH. And I went to see Marcus. um, We actually went to see Anderson Pack at SOBs and we had a table was right at the front of the stage and Marcus opened up for Anderson Pack. I'd never heard of him before. And, you know, he's playing and Amanda and I are both looking at each other like, where is, what planet is this dude from? Because he is like Jimi Hendrix level and his like, you know, he's like a prodigy, just unbelievably great. And like song after song after song, he was just hitting us over the head. So huge fan of Marcus, really huge fan. He's played with Pete Rock um, and Pharaoh um, in in both their bands. So, you know, very, got a lot of hip hop credibility there too, but super, super dope. Yeah, so he dropped an album called Aquarius Purple, and I played it this week. I mean, it's just that heavy, you know, soul. Obviously, like, there's an homage to Prince and Prince's kind of more guitar grooves, even in its title and, and some of the tracks. And it also reminded me a lot of, like, those really heady funkadelic jams. Um, so I've just enjoyed that, and especially given his intersections, like you said, with the Soul Survivors and 13, 
you know, been on that. And the other song that I really want to kind of shout out is we talk about Doom and Aesop Rock and Homeboy Sandman. They have a group called Lice, if I'm not mistaken. And they paid a tribute to Doom um, with a song called Ask Anyone. And, you know, we talk about posthumous albums. I am not the biggest fan of tribute songs. I think there's great ones. You know, I'll Be Missing You for Biggie. I thought DITC on their album closed it out with a really special one for Big L. But um, this joint, you know, Aesop talks about just how profoundly Doom influenced him. And let's not forget, I mean, these guys worked together with Prefuse 73 on a song we covered, you know, as a do remember on AFH. And in the verse, you know, Aesop just talks about hearing kind of Doom's comeback from Zev Love X live on Stretch and Bobito as he was in Blockhead's apartment. And he talks about growing up. I think Aesop has ties to Long Island and Doom had rapped about sneakers hanging on telephone wires. And Aesop said he would drive around Doom's neighborhood and see, you know, sneakers hanging on the lines and wonder if those were the ones that Doom was rapping about only to find out that was not the case. And then you have Homeboy Sandman, who I really believe, you know, in terms of creativity, um, you know, compound rhymes, interesting concepts, kind of rapping from an everyman's perspective. I definitely think, you know, he is he is in the Doom family tree. I mean, I would credit Doom as probably being one of his top MC influences along with Most Def. And he's a great guest on it. I just really enjoyed the song Rhyme Sayers, who worked with Doom, put it out and all proceeds, downloads and streams go to Doom's family, which um, you love to see. And you you added it to the playlist, which I really appreciate. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of coming back at a time of reconsidering Aesop Rock. He was never my favorite in the Def Jokes movement. But as I listen to um, Open Mike Eagles, you know, then what had happened pod podcast with LP, I'm going back to a lot of these releases and, and just appreciating them more than I ever had, especially with Aesop Rock and Mr. Lift. So, yeah, I thought that was a dope song. Um, you know, we kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum, not surprisingly there. You know, I was never I've never been the biggest homeboy Sandman fan. I know that he's been a real key artist for you. And so this kind of like really brought him like more to the fore for me and mm. like, um, made me appreciate him more uh, with Aesop Rock though I, I really love him and his Skeleton album back in 2012 I'd put as one of AFH's top albums of the year um, I love the Zero Dark Thirty um, song and just like really conceptual artist both lyrically and visually so really been a big fan of his so like really cool to see the two of them work together yeah absolutely and that actually is my song of the week which I never would have guessed um, but I just I keep playing it. It articulates, you know, uh, at an artistic level why Doom is so impactful to hip hop and certainly to me as you and I, you know, spent a couple of hours early this year just paying tribute with both of our Doom kind of reflections. Word. And mine is Mando Calrissian from that Zarface album. You know, mm. I think, uh, you know, that's Doom sounding just great. It's really is uh it's kind of an upbeat song for for Zarface and yeah that one just kind of struck me so. it's interesting how that group has evolved man like you know I never in a million years would have thought we'd get two projects between Inspector Deck and Doom and never get Ghost Starks um so I don't believe as we talk about posthumous albums I don't believe this is the last music we'll, we'll hear from Doom I think I sense that he was up to something with Rhyme Sayers and you and I spoke about you know we don't we know there were other recordings to Mad Lib Beats for a possible, you know, Mad Villainy too. And, um, you know, but shout out to Zarface and, and, and uh, yeah, man, I'm eager to see what comes. Word. 
Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, I, I look forward to buying you that drink. Actually, I, you might just, um, I, you might have just like erased your deficit a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah. at least no more yeah. egg in my face for a minute. So, yeah, man. Until the next great bet, until the next great podcast, man. Here's to another dope week in music. Yeah, man. Same here. All right. Later. All right. Man. Peace. Peace.